I've got a little bit of a quiz for you. A little bit of a quiz. What do you see? Not, not as in what do you see right now, um, but what do you see? I, I, I'm a bit of a movie fan. I always have been. And I've enjoyed movie quote games where people do quotes of games and things like this. So I've put a little dialogue that's taken place from a particular Disney film, uh, which, I, which I really quite enjoy. If you do know it, just raise your hand. I don't know if you actually... But this is a, a couple of sentences taken from a specific uh, Disney film. What do you see? Calvin, straight away, Black Pine from the High Mountains, White Horse here, Imperial Stallions, Sulphur from Cannons. Now, this particular movie, which is one of my favourites, actually, is taken from which movie, Calvin? Mulan. 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 Taken from the movie Mulan. And the context of the movie is that there's a leader by the name of Shan Yu who is a Hun, and he actually asks, when he gets a doll, he throws it to his soldiers and says, what do you see? One person says, I see black pine from the high mountains. One says, white horse here, imperial stallions. The third one smells it, sulfur, from cannons. To which Shan Yu, the leader, goes, this is a doll taken from a village in the Tangshao Pass. I, I memorized the thing, so I've, I've watched it so often. I've memorized it. This is a doll taken from a village in the Tangshao Pass where the imperial army waits for us. One person replies, we can avoid the measly. No, the quickest way to the emperor is through that pass. Besides, the little girl is missing a doll. We should return it to her. That is word for word, verbatim, what that dialogue is. As you can see, I watch too many movies, specifically too many children's movies. But what I like about this is that for the untrained eye, often when things are looked at, if I was given a doll of such things like this and say, what do you see? I'd say, I'd see a doll. To a trained eye, they see so much more. What do you see? Last week, there was a reminder of our church vision of living for eternity. And it is important for us as Christians then to have a vision for heavenly things. When you encounter various trials, various obstacles, various hiccups within your Christian life, what do you see? And as we look at the book of Philippians over the next couple of months, I want you to read through the book of Philippians with this particular idea in your head. What do you see? How do you interpret the things that you encounter in your life from a heavenly perspective, from God's perspective? What do you see? Because the book of Philippians was written by Paul whilst he was in prison. And whilst he writes, he writes in every single chapter, there are two, maybe three key verses which you all know and you've all heard within your Christian life. What do you see? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, one of the, my favorite verses, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. What do you see? Do you see God working in you even now? Do you see God bringing you into completion so that when he presents himself before you and you before him in heaven, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. What do you see? Philippians 1.21, what do we read? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What do you see when you look at your life? That death would be actually a benefit. When you go through Philippians chapter 2, when you get verse after verse, Philippians 3, Philippians 4, there are so many things within here to encourage our hearts. And yet Paul, in his context, is in prison. He is in chains. He is bound for preaching the gospel of Christ. So it's important then that there's something that Paul saw in his context 
that maybe we could learn from, that Paul sought to encourage within the Philippian church that maybe we can draw from as well. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your spirit that gives us an understanding and enlightens our hearts to not only see what you are doing, but to also accept and trust. Father, I pray as we look in your word today, you might teach us, you might reveal to us more of yourself, you might challenge us even within our own lives, where we have been selfish and self-centered. Um, help us to release all things to you so that we might become more like your son, Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. I'm not actually going to do a Bible reading this morning. We'll work our way through the first chapter. Actually, the first 18 verses is what we're going to be looking at. But as I should remember, Paul is in prison at the writing of his letter. His crime for being a preacher of the gospel and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Actually, it says that in Acts chapter 28, verse 31. The response to this message was varied where some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. That's Acts 28, verse 24. But what I want to focus on is the hope, the understanding, and the perspective of Paul in the midst of suffering. Okay, I want to repeat that because I think it's very important as we go through. I want us to focus on the hope, the understanding, and the perspective of Paul in the midst of suffering. Not while everything's sweet, not after he's come out of something else, but in the very middle of his suffering. Why? Because for many of us, the key to happiness in our Christian journey is often, especially in the West, is often stated that it's trouble-free, that there is no issue confronting, that there is no... Uh, there is no failure or anything like that in our Christian life. That, for many people today, that's the way they view Christianity in the West. That it is something that God does for us, uh, which is dangerous. Because if such doctrines like that are taught, means that if you're not experiencing, say, prosperity in your job or success in various other areas, does that mean that you are not in accordance with God's will? Does that mean that you're not being obedient to God's will, not entirely, okay? But to reiterate, Paul was in prison, suffering for the gospel, and most likely still having his thorn in the flesh that was talked about in 2 Corinthians. So in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, you have his regular greeting. Uh, verses 3 and 4, he expresses uh, his joy and that he prays for them. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel and the greatest of truths being shared in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, of God's direct involvement. Now, it is upon this truth that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. It is upon this truth when we hit into verse 7 that I want to focus on. And there are three things I want to focus on. There are three Bs, the blessing, the benefit, and the building. The blessing, the benefit, and the building. And it's upon this truth of Philippians chapter 126 we start off with our first thing. The blessing of like-minded people. That's in verses 7 and 8. The blessing of like-minded people. Have you ever felt disconnected? Have you ever felt isolated, either by choice or by default? 
Have you sought to make a stand, especially a stand for godliness and righteousness, and found yourself alienated by other people? Not only in the workplace, but what I find fascinating, that maybe even in the church, where you've sought to make a stand for godliness and righteousness, and you're alienated as, oh, you've been too holy, or you've been too spiritual. Paul, as a leader, probably experienced that. Paul, as a leader, probably experienced that and a lot of other things. He was often a disciplinarian, and you read this through all his other epistles. He always wrote to, say, the Corinthians because of their immaturity. He wrote to Galatians because of their legalism. He wrote to Colossians because of the philosophies that were influencing them. He encouraged Timothy. He encouraged Titus because there were issues that are taking place. So often Paul may have been viewed as as a bit of a, a, a disciplinarian in each of those things. But he invested into the Philippian church and was greatly blessed by the Philippian church. Why? Because they were like-minded. He wasn't writing to the Philippian church to correct them for anything. He was writing to the Philippian church because they were a joy to write to. Because they had the same heart that he did. He was blessed by them greatly because they had a heart and a vision for the things of God. And that encouraged his heart. So, have you ever been around somebody like this? Have you ever been around someone that's an encourager? Someone that you just like to be around and you walk away from them thinking, that was a blessing. I love to pray for this person or they pray for me. I like being in their presence to watch them grow and and to see how God grows them and, and the lessons that God is teaching them. See, Paul saw the heart of the Philippian church and he was greatly comforted by that because they were a church to stand. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, 8, we read this. He says, It is right for me to feel this way all about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you. The blessing on having a church that supports him. Remember, he's in prison for the gospel, and these people are like, yeah, let's support our brother. Let's back him up. Let's pray for him. Let's encourage him. Let's bless him in whatever way we can. They were not rich. They weren't strong. They were just a small church that had a heart for the gospel and had a heart for their brother who was in prison for the gospel. And this is why it's such a blessing to him. You see, the church is illustrated in 1 Corinthians 12 as what? As a body. And the strength of the body is when each individual part performs its function for the benefit of the whole body. Agreed? You know, and Jono knows this. Jono was sick over the past four days. No, no, past week, sorry. He was sick for the past week, and he wasn't doing good. There was something that wasn't right. And it might have been something small, but it affected his whole body. I'm an old man, and one of the things that happens in cold weather is my ankles click. So when I walk, they like crack, crack, crack. I don't know why. I think it's because I'm old. Thank you very much for that, Brother Stephen. Now, here's what's fascinating. Something as small as this is that when it's really cold, sometimes my left ankle all of a sudden will just, there'll be a crack about as loud as that, and then it hurts, and I can't walk properly. It's small, 
It's irritable, and yet it affects the rest of the body. The whole body feels this one effect. That's the unity, that's the intimacy that's displayed in that picture of the body. And so here we have the church, which is represented the same way. And so when one part is affected, and we hear this in the scriptures, the whole part is affected. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one grieves, we all experience the grief. This is the intimacy of the fellowship we are to have as the body of Jesus Christ, as the church. This is what's represented here. That with Paul feeling what he's feeling, Paul is comforted and encouraged by this group of believers. Paul is experiencing genuine fellowship and reaping the benefits of that fellowship in his association with this church. Which reminds me, or I guess you'd say which challenges me, how then in turn do we fulfill this in each other's lives? That if one hurts, we all hurt. That if one struck down, we all feel the pain. That when one is successful or experiences the blessing, we all partake of that joy. In what way do I play a part in that? And, and you see this displayed all throughout the scriptures. I was having a look at this. You see, the blessing of like-minded people is reflected in the practicality of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who could stand together in obedience of God's word. It's really difficult to make a stand if you're the lone voice. The blessing of like-minded people is the ability to stand together in the face of, of opposition. If you remember the story in Daniel, the music plays, and then they all had to bow down and worship the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made of himself. The practicality of having people around you, of having like-minded people about you, is to support and encourage you to make such a stand. That's what makes it so practical. Yeah, it's difficult to get up and stand against, say, people at your work when they make audacious claims about who Jesus is. And when you're by yourself, oh, yeah, that, that can be difficult. To have someone with you, to stand up alongside of you, how practical can you be? How practical can you be in that context? The strength and the encouragement not only to make such a practical stand like this, but to pray for the workplace. That's in itself is a practical step. It's the, it's the blessing of a David to a Jonathan. The blessing of a David who could stir his loyalty to be faithful to God's plan regardless if he was next on the throne. Jonathan is the prince to Israel. He was there to step after his dad steps down. David is now God's anointed, God's chosen ruler. And what does Jonathan do? Jonathan goes, I'll do that. He was loyal to God's plan and loyal to his friend David because he saw God's hand on David's life. And he said, it's not about me. It's about God's heart. It's about God's desire. It's about God's plan. That is the practicality and the blessing of like-minded people. Just out of curiosity, I've already, I've already shared this. Martin Garcia is like the David to my Jonathan. He's the one that encourages me, that blesses me. I would encourage you to have, have a David. Have a David to your Jonathan. Be the David to a Jonathan. Be a blessing. Be an encouragement. Be someone that comes alongside. That's how not only bonds are formed, but how bonds are strengthened. Someone that you can go to and say, can you please pray for me? Can you please help me out? How can I bless you? How can I encourage you? It is the example of Elijah to Elisha. 
The example of Elijah to Elisha. See, the example that Elijah set emboldened Elisha so much that he asked for a double portion of God's spirit to have an impact on God's people. This is the blessing of like-mindedness. This is the blessing of having those who see the same things you see and who desire the same things you desire. Now, please, I don't want to get this misconstrued. See the same things you see in regards for the kingdom of God. Desire the same things you desire in regards to the heart of God. I'm not saying you sit down and find someone and say, hey, man, let's go get into some trouble. And you go, yeah, I want to go hang out with that guy. No, I don't, not that sort of like-mindedness. But it's the strength of like-minded people, the blessing that they are. And for Paul, it was the joy of God's work maturing in the hearts and in the lives of the Philippian church for them to practically bless him in their example as well. Now, last week, I spoke to Chris. Last week? No, the week before. They went to a, a university ministry thing. Sorry, I'm getting really warm up here. They went to a university thing, and, and what had happened was that they were, they support a, a guy who does missions in the unis. What's the gentleman's name? Jeff Foley. So they support a guy who does work in the, in, in the universities. And what was really encouraging was this. She said, I forgot, I didn't ask her, but she said, I forgot how exciting, how exciting to be around young people who are passionate for the gospel. I forgot how exciting it is to be around young people who are passionate for the gospel. And she came away from there, her and Jono came away from there, and they were encouraged. They were encouraged because they saw God practically working within the hearts and lives of young people through this guy, Jeff Foley, and could see the evidence of what God is doing. And they walked away and thought, that's exciting. We should get involved in it more often. And I thought, that's exactly right. You get around people who are on fire for God, what happens? You get on fire. John Wesley was said that people used to travel all around to go hear him preach. They, I think the comment was they would travel for miles around to see him burn because he was on fire for the gospel. And what does fire do when it takes, takes, when it takes light? It's contagious. It's contagious and it burns all around. And to be around people that are like that, that's the blessing of like-minded people. It sets alight our heart for the things of God because their hearts are alight for the things of God. And this is what Paul is sharing here. So, when I think about what Caris shared, how she left there, she was encouraged, and it, it reminded me of this then, to be along the lines of what we're talking about. What do you see? What do you see when you look around the church? When you look around, say, even within your own family, when you look around, say, even in your workplace, what do you see? Do you see means by which you can encourage someone else within the church? Do you see an opportunity to to bless others by the giving of yourself, say, in prayer or even in friendship? Do you see an opportunity to share a blessing and say, can you please pray for me? What do you see? Do you see, like Paul, those who are like-minded, who will spur you on to love and good works? Or do you see what others are not doing for you? Do you see everything wrong or what everyone else is not doing? Do you see opportunities to complain or whinge about anything or anyone with whom you disagree with? What 
do you see? Pastor John, he sends me these really cool little encouragements throughout the week, which is a great blessing. And he sent me this. He sent me this one, six leadership lessons or leadership principles to learn from the eagle. And so he gave me these six things, which I thought were quite interesting. Number one, eagles fly alone and at high altitudes. They don't fly with sparrows, ravens, or other small birds. Meaning, stay away from narrow-minded people, those that bring you down. Eagles fly with eagles. Keep good company. I hang out with John and Chris. They're good company. But I thought this was really interesting. It's actually really quite, I think that's actually really quite true. Dan Juma Gibson, who I've quoted a number of times throughout the past, Dan Juma Gibson was an African-American pastor who said this. He said, if you want to be a person that brings forth 30-fold in your life, hang out with people who bring forth 30-fold. If you want to be a person who brings forth 60-fold in their lives for the kingdom of God, hang out with people who bring forth 60. Or 100-fold, hang out with people who bring forth 100. Keep good company. Now, it's not saying, now please don't misinterpret. It's not saying don't hang out with non-Christians. It's not saying don't hang out with those that are immature. It's not saying anything like that, no, because we are called to do that. But in terms of our relationship and developing our walk with Jesus and to increase and grow in our righteousness and in the fruit that comes forth, well, then keep good company. Be accompanied with those that would stir you up to love and good works, to stir you up to step out in faith and share the gospel. Keep good company. Uh, Nathaniel does mixed martial arts and he gets beat up a lot. So he was doing mixed martial arts and he said to me, I enjoy, he, the guy that he spars with at his mixed martial arts place is actually an Australian champion. He's six foot four, six foot five, really tall guy. And he goes, I'm going to go spar, dad. Oh, really? He goes, yeah. And he goes, he comes back and his eyes are like weeping. I come back and I say, you get punched in the nose a lot, son. And he goes, yeah, I did. I did. Who'd you, who'd you spar with? And he told me, oh, the Australian champ, I was sparring with him. And he was telling me, and, he said, and, and why, why, do you enjoy that? And he goes, I do, actually. I said, you enjoy getting beat up? And he goes, yes. I says, why? Because it's teaching me. If I want to get better, then it's better for me to be, be beat up by somebody who knows what they're doing. And I, I, thought, I thought that was really cool. It's, it's a wonderful principle in terms of, now I'm not saying don't go out and get beat up by people. And please, that's, that's not what I want to talk about. But the idea is this. He's wanting to improve and get better and, and something is that involves fighting. And so he's putting around someone that will actually motivate him to do that. I think for a lot of us as Christians, though, we, we when it comes to the idea of righteousness and holiness and, and being a life that is sanctified for the glory of God, I think a lot of us find that so difficult we don't want to. And we would much rather hang out with people that are a bit more sort of compromised in their righteousness, a bit more accommodating to my sin, a bit more understanding of my selfishness. And because that makes me feel comfortable, that's where I'll stay. But no, the blessing of like-minded people, the blessing of the church, the blessing of your brothers and sisters next to you is to lead us and to draw us and to encourage us to be more like Jesus. That's exactly what we're there for. Because we are a body, and that is the first thing. This is the blessing of like-minded people. So I would encourage you to think about the like-minded people that you hang out with or the like-minded person that you are to others. Because if we are like-minded, it starts off with this one thing. What? 
that we have the mind of Christ. So that's our first thing. That's the blessing. The blessing that you are to me and that I am to you prayerfully. Number two, the benefit of divine discernment. This is Paul's prayer for the church and the Paul's prayer for us. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, for many of us, myself included, we often focus on this, which I think is a great, great request, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. And so it should. It's so true. That is a great encouraging verse. To be people that grow in love, to abound in godly affection, that is grounded in who is known, God, who is love, according to 1 John 4, 8, and, that is, um, and, and, and abound in godly affection. It's more than just the, the superficial heart flutters uh, that of infatuation that a lot of the media portray today. It's a, a love that is grounded in depth, that actually has substance, that is solid and immovable, like God's Word, Hebrews 4.12. And it's for a specific request that this prayer is put forward, or that this request is made. He says that your love may abound more and more, that you may be able to discern what is best. He prays that your love may abound for the purpose of discernment, for the purpose of being able to have an understanding or an insight or the encouragement to see, the ability to see. The word discernment carries the idea of examining accurately. It's about testing and approving what is under trial. And so this prayer request from Paul is that the abounding of love and knowledge and insight is for the purpose of us to be able to discern everything that is taking place around us. Now, I remember using this illustration when I took Mel's glasses. Remember when I talked about being able to look at something and interpret it through a specific lens? Well, this is what our discernment is. The discernment by which we are able to see things or to accurately examine things is to be done through the lens of love. But not your love and not my love, but discerning through the lens of God's love to me. That's how it is discerned. It is discernment to be able to interpret things through the love God has for me. It's interpreted through the fact that he loves me, that his love is sure and steadfast, and that his love is true. For example, Paul's circumstance, imprisonment, never raised a doubt in his heart that he is loved by God. He never doubts God's love for him. Even though he is imprisoned at this time, Paul's confinement was never viewed as an impairment on his opportunity to minister. It never restricted him. He was con- Remember, he's in prison, but it never restricted him. He never thought, I can't, I can't preach the gospel no more because I'm imprisoned. That never crossed his mind. Paul's situation never quenched his desire to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because his intimacy with Jesus, his understanding of God's purpose being fulfilled, and his discernment by the Spirit was grounded in the very nature and purpose that God had for his life. That's the way he viewed it. And, and you see this. I, I, I remember sharing this with Uncle James a few weeks ago. 
uh, in Psalm 138, verse 8, it says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. This is the attitude Paul had with the context that he was in. He understood that God's purpose would be fulfilled through him even though he was in prison. He understood that God's purpose for him, even while he was confined or the gospel going forth, could still be done. He understood this, and that's the way he interpreted the way he was in prison. He interpreted the context that he was in. Think about that for a second. How do we interpret the situations that we encounter today in our lives? We look for any excuse not to fulfill God's will within our hearts and within our lives. We do. We look for any reason not to do something. I can't do this anymore because I'm looking after my grandkids. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't be involved as much as I'd like to be because I'm looking after my kid at home. I can't do this all because my daughter's sick. Now, look, please don't misinterpret me. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that if you stay home and look after your kid that you're a bad parent or a bad Christian. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there is a means by which if God had allowed you to encounter this situation that you're in now, he's saying because of his love for you, how will you interpret the context you're in now and use it for my glory? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to you right now. Yes, your context changed. Your context will always change. The things and the situations that you're in, they'll always be different. How it is today will not be the same way it might be maybe a month from now, or even tomorrow, or every year from now. But it doesn't change the opportunity that you have to glorify God within somebody's life. It doesn't change. So it all depends on how you interpret it. This has to be, on our part, a willingness to examine and interpret what we encounter through the eyes of God and by the love of the Lord Jesus. This is what Paul prays for the church, and this is the same request for us as well, that we may be able to discern what is best. See, there is a definite benefit of discerning things from the divine perspective. And when you do that, this is what adds reality to these, to these particular passages. We know Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. But the only way that can make sense is if we define, and sorry, not define, if we discern the things that we're going through from God's perspective. It has to. That's the only way it can make sense when it is viewed from God's perspective. So it speaks to the reality of Romans 8.28. It speaks to the reality of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It speaks, against, it speaks into the reality of James chapter 1, verse 2, when it says, Consider it all joy whenever you face trials. Or... As it says in this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, when you understand it and discern from a divine perspective, it makes sense that we will joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So the reason why I use this verse is because the church in Jerusalem were having things taken off them. They were experiencing persecution because they stood for the person of Jesus Christ. And whilst they were having things taken off them because of their love for Jesus Christ, the writer of Hebrews writes, you accepted that. 
You accepted it. Why? Because you interpreted it from God's perspective, not from your own. You didn't see it as a, as a loss. You saw it as a gain. That's what it is. So for the church in Jerusalem, in Hebrews, they could see that all things work together for good, even though they may have lost their homes. They might have lost their jobs, but they saw, well, hang on, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces at work here that we need to pray against. And, and, and even though they might have lost their jobs, lost their homes, they may even lost their friends. Under that persecution, they considered it pure joy. Why? Because they discerned their circumstances from God's perspective, not their own. And this is why you and I, we need to have the courage to pray and to ask the Lord to help us to discern what is taking place around us. Which once again raises that question, what do you see? If you're going through a hard time, what do you see? If you're having trouble in your marriage, what do you see? And, and this is the thing, whenever I talk about marriage, what do you see in your marriage? Maybe, maybe as a husband, you've said some dumb things and are now suffering the consequences of those dumb things that you've said. As a wife, you might have retaliated and bit back out of anger, and, and, and that might be the cause of it. So sometimes, what do you see? Maybe the issue isn't actually the other person. Maybe the issue is you that needs to be dealt with. And ask God to reveal that to you. So what do you see? Or I guess more accurately, how do you discern what you see? Now, you remember the Huns that I talked about and from the Mulan movie? They were able to discern the necessary scraps of evidence from the doll that they had because of two reasons. One, training. They had honed their vision to be able to identify what was in front of them. They trained themselves to see what they needed to see. Two, experience. It was a reality that they had lived through and personally discovered for themselves. Now, this means for you and I to be able to see clearly, we need to consider the training and experience. Our personal training and our personal experience. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Have nothing to do with silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. That word in the Greek where you get trained from is what we get the word gym, gymnasium. That's basically where, so it's basically talking about you're going to a place where you... I mean, how many people go to the gym? I know, I know Ash does, because Ash looks... Well, hey, Kenny... How was your back? It's good. It's good. Okay, sorry. Okay. So, yeah. So to train yourself, what that basically means is this, to put yourself in a position where you yourself are, I guess you could say, sharpening your ability, sharpening, strengthening your muscles, putting yourself where you're stretching yourself to be able to see various things. So we are to train ourselves for godliness. That might, come, that might be something as simple as this. Choosing, choosing to get up each morning and spend time in the Word of God. To train yourself to godliness. That might be something as simple as choosing, and I've talked about this before, to have yourself maybe a little bit of a schedule, a little bit of a workout program to, while you do your quiet times, to actually write stuff down. To choose to pray for people. 
to choose to call people up and see how they're going. To choose to go out of your way maybe to visit someone and say, hey, Jesus loves you. That all comes down to training. Why? Because you need to train yourself deliberately before it becomes natural. Before it becomes a part of your lifestyle. That's what training does. And the thing about training is that it is hard and it is boring. Training is hard and it is boring. But you reap the benefits of it. And I've shared this before. I go to the, I go to the gym three times a week. I've taken this week out. I've taken this week out because it's my rest week and because I'm lazy. But I took this week out and, and I miss it. I miss it. I'm really looking forward to going back because I've missed out a week. And I was like, this, isn't, this doesn't feel right. This is what it should be when it comes to being within the Word of God. This is what it should be about the things of God, about feeding ourselves spiritual. It doesn't feel right. When you don't do it anymore, it's like, it, I feel strange. I feel strange. I feel, I feel lethargic spiritually. I feel, I, feel, I feel like I need to get out there and, and exercise myself spiritually. That's what it should be like. That's why training is important, to train yourselves and godliness. Experience, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, at the end of it. So the first part, it says um, uh, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, uh, being fruitful in every good work. And at the end, it says being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It's great to have knowledge. It's great to train for something. But if you're just training for the sake of training, not doing anything with it, it becomes useless. The story is told by Pastor Tony Evans of a bodybuilder who goes on a mission trip and goes out to a village in the middle of nowhere. And, and so for the, he did, a, he did a, a bodybuilding exposition. So he basically got up there and he did his bodybuilding routine for this village. And all these people are sitting there, oh, wow, wow. And his muscles are bulging and he's flexing. And he does this, does his you know, three or four minute routine. The chief of the village comes up to the, the head of the mission organization and, and, and the bodybuilder goes, that is amazing. I have never seen anybody look like you. Those muscles are magnificent. That is, I, wow. And he goes, thank you very much. He goes, what else do you use them for? And he goes, sorry, what do you mean? Well, you've got all these muscles. What, what else do you use them for? And he says, Nothing. To which the chief responded, what a waste. What a waste. What's the point of having all these muscles to show them off and not use them for anything practical? Do you know what happens if you're a Christian that spends all your time training and never using it for anything? You're a bodybuilder that uses muscles for nothing else but showing them. That's what you are. That's what I am. And so when it says about increasing in the knowledge of God, it means this. It means putting into practice what's known here and here and living it out. That's what that means. That's the benefit of divine discernment. To be able to look at the situation and interpret it through the lens of God's love and say, this is what I'm going to do. But that's something we need to train ourselves in and then to actually step out and utilize that. Uh, I think I, I remember the very first sermon I shared with you guys, the very first sermon I shared with you guys going way, way, way back to 2008. And the illustration I gave was actually from this particular verse, Colossians 1.10. And he actually said this, that J. Oswald Sanders was talking with a friend of mine who was telling stories to my friend Mike, Michael Piatangi, who sometimes I share his devotion on the morning devotions wall, um, who's going to be our next camp speaker at Easter in 2020. 
So Mike Piatangi, he was sharing with them, listening to Jail Wood Sanders, who was the author of Spiritual Leadership. I encourage you to read that book. He was sharing with them all these stories, and at the end of it, Mike goes, man, that's amazing. Tell me more. Tell me more. Oswald Sanders replied, no, you get your own stories. You discover the faithfulness and the, the promises of God in your own life. Don't live off mine. You get your own. That's experience. That's where God takes what you know and then lives it out through you practically. Training and experience and the benefit of divine discernment gives us the capacity to see that, to put those things into practice because these are the two things that Paul explains in the rest of the passage. His discernment and his practical experience, which leads to this third point, the building of godliness. The building of godliness in relationships with him, the building of godliness of relationships with each other. And this is actually found in verses 12 through to 18. See, what takes place here is the manifestation of these first two points of blessing and benefit. This is what happens when one's life is interpreted from eternity's perspective and seen through the eyes of the Lord Jesus. Paul's imprisonment, Paul's suffering, Paul's trials, Paul's tribulations, and Paul's temptations are all filtered through God's faithfulness, Jesus' love, and the Spirit's presence. Therefore, he explains what he sees through the lenses of God's heart. And this is what we read. The first one, the opportunity for kingdom advancement. In verse 12, we see this. See, his personal experiences of imprisonment, served a greater purpose than just his capture and arrest. It was God's way of having him serve. He viewed his his imprisonment as a means to serve. Verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I'm in prison. I can advance the gospel. That's how he interpreted his arrest. That's how he interpreted his confinement. He interpreted the second one, the proclamation of Jesus through living the truth. And that greater purpose, his testimony glorified the Savior in such a way that even his captors recognized the touch of the divine in his life. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Even the soldiers knew who he was and why he was there. Have you seen that guy, Paul, the dude locked up? Yeah, yeah. The one always doing the Jesus talk? Yeah, man. He never shuts up. I know. But they know why he's there. And he saw it like that. He didn't see it as anything to confine and restrict him for the service of the gospel. He saw it. Man, I'm imprisoned so I can advance the gospel. I am now advancing the gospel to my palace guards. Anthony Zioli. He was known as the Living Bible way, way back in the... He, he became a Christian in the late 1800s. Shared his testimony, which I heard in, uh, um, on, on a video when he was in the 1930s. But he talked about it. He talked about when he, he got caught robbing a, a house, got put in prison. A gentleman gave him a Bible. He read the Bible. He became a Christian. And all he, heard, all he read was, well, I've got to go tell people. I don't know anybody. The guard walks into his thing, into his into his cell, talks to them, and he goes, I'll tell you about Jesus. So he tells the guard about Jesus. The guard becomes a Christian. Right then and there. And he goes, okay. And it went from there. 
And it, that he interpreted it, this is the means I can serve. If I'm in prison, I'll tell a palace guard. If I'm at work, maybe I'll let my, my workmates know. If I'm at school, I'll let my classmates know. I'm at home. My neighbors can hear about Jesus. This is the way Paul interpreted his context. He's in prison, confined, and he says, I'm going to proclaim Jesus. The third one, the encouragement of the saints by being faithful. We are told by Peter that if we suffer, it is because we suffer because we're doing God's will. Specifically, if we're going to suffer, suffer for doing good. And standing strong, this too encourages others to be bold as well. This is the effect Paul had on the Philippians. Verse 14, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is the blessing of like-minded people. Here's in prison, all the other church, instead of pulling back, they're like, I'm going to do it too. I'm going to stand up. Paul stood, I'll stand alongside him. Paul discovered the promises of God in his life. I want to discover the promises of God in my life. I want to find that out. And that's what he did. And lastly, there was a resolute vision to hold sight, or never losing sight, of what's important. What's important is that the gospel goes forth. Sometimes there may be people who preach the truth for wrong reasons. There are some that Paul experienced who sought to preach and cause him harm or difficulty while he was there. The way Paul viewed some of the preachers that were people that sought to do him harm or were competing for spiritual status that Paul had, Paul didn't stress over. He didn't stress over the pettiness of such people, but was far more appreciative of the fact of what was really taking place. Verses 15 through to 17. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 17. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So he didn't care. Someone's preaching the gospel. I'm gonna get. I want to show Paul. I want to show Paul. I want to teach Paul a lesson. I want to go tell someone about Jesus. Hey, do you know Jesus loves you? And they're and they're causing. Paul's like, hey, praise God, gospel's going out. That's awesome. That's all he cared about. How many times do we miss out on the blessing God desires to bestow upon us because we're so petty looking at things that aren't important in the greater context of eternity? Paul viewed his whole situation from eternity's perspective and saw the effect that it was having on the kingdom. On the kingdom. This is what it means to be kingdom-minded, to be concerned with the gospel and the things that are glorifying to God's name. That's what happens when we view our context from God's perspective through the lens of God's love. But how does a person do that? How can a person be harassed, be personally attacked, be questioned about their legitimacy as a follower of Jesus and not care? Or more importantly, hold to a truth that is reflected in verse 18. Sorry, in verse 18 there, that what really mattered, what he rejoiced was that the gospel went out. This all comes about to one thing, what one chooses to see. That's what it comes down to, what one chooses to see. If you choose to see people as being unfair, 
or as being unjust, then that is what you'll see every single time, irrespective of the context, irrespective of the abundance that you've received over the years. If you choose to see the hand of God at work, even in the most difficult of situations, well, then you'll most probably see it. You'll most probably see it. Is it easy to see? Is it easy to identify? Well, no, no. But this is where training into godliness comes about. Now, I just want to clarify one thing. This is not being like your head in the sand like an ostrich and willingly ignoring everything that's going on around you. That's not that. It's not the pie in the sky, by and by, when I die type mentality, which is what a majority of people view us as being. But rather, it is the recognition of the sovereignty of God in every situation of life, irrespective of whether you understand it or not. God is God, and he always will be. That never changes. God is God and always will be, and he loves you. That never changes. Jesus died for you to take, a pay, take, to take away your sin and the penalty of that sin upon himself on the cross. That can never be denied. That, can never be, that, that is the manifestation of how much God loves you. He rose again and has ascended now on the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and I. He is our advocate. That will never change. His love has extended to eternity past, to eternity future, and demonstrated to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That will never alter. Doesn't matter what you think about yourself. Doesn't matter how you view yourself or how you view others. The only important thing that Paul took away from everything that he experienced was that God loved him and he saw God working in every situation. This is where you and I can draw from. This is where you and I can learn. To train ourselves to see the opportunity for kingdom advancement in our context. The the opportunity, the, the proclamation of Jesus through living the truth, by adhering to God's truth and living by that. The encouragement of the saints by being faithful. The vision to hold to what's important. See, all of these things, the, the blessing of like-minded people, is for the purpose of encouraging each other to have our views focused where they're supposed to be focused, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The blessing of divine discernment that comes from being with like-minded people is that we encourage each other to discern through the lens of God's love all the things that take place around us. And what happens from that is that it builds an intimacy, a godliness with our relationship with Jesus and with each other. But it all comes down to what do you choose to see? Or more importantly, I guess, more accurately, where are you looking? Where are you looking? Just one. There is no attribute of God more, conf- more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the, the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty hath ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. Charles Spurgeon. Last one. To the one who delights in the sovereignty of God, the clouds not only have a silver lining, 
but they are sylvan all through. The darkness only serving to offset the light from A.W. Pink. What are you looking at? My prayer is that for we as the people of God might be looking to see the hand of our God at work and that we might be able to recognize that hand from the darkest moments we experience to the joyous moments that we encounter, whether they be dark or light, our God is in control of them all. So I'm going to ask you to be upstanding. Um, I'm going to close in prayer. We won't, we won't sing. But I would give you a few moments just for you to pray, to pray for someone else. You can pray for someone else if you like, to pray for someone else and maybe what God's doing in your life, what God's teaching you at this time, how God may be encouraging you, how God might be actually disciplining you. But the reality is this, that we might be able to recognize the hand of God. I would encourage you, I encourage the leaders to do this. I would encourage you to do this as well. But read through Esther. I'll be reading through Esther or listen to Esther. Jono has an audio Bible. He's been listening to Esther. It's a great story to listen to too. But read through Esther. And the great thing about the book of Esther is seeing the fingerprints of God throughout, weaving together four lives that would otherwise have nothing to do with each other. And yet, he intertwines them, the grand weaver, the grand weaver who brings about something beautiful for the glory of his name. Have a read through Esther, and you see those things take place. And prayerfully, we might be able to recognize those same things for us as well. Um, the prayer te- I actually invite the prayer team forward too, please, if the prayer team can come forward. And after I close in prayer, if you want to be prayed for, we would love to pray for you this morning. And it might be to pray for the recognition of God's hand in your life. It might be the submission of yourself to God's will and God's heart within your circumstance. It might be whatever that might be. But we do know this, how God inclines his ear to his people as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the example of Paul and our Philippian church as well, that are a great example for us to draw from. I pray that you might help each and every one of us to sharpen our spiritual senses, to train ourselves into godliness and to experience the sheer greatness of who you are in our own personal lives, to discover the stories, Lord, to discover the stories of your greatness, of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your mercy, of your provision and your providence, of your overending sovereignty in each of our lives. I pray you might help us to identify those things. If we have difficulty seeing those, Lord, please remove the scales from our eyes to see the truth of your greatness. Father, I pray you might help us to be a blessing. The blessing of like-mindedness might be something to encourage us and not drag us down. The blessing of like-mindedness to stir each other on to love and good works, to strengthen one another, to come alongside and as fellow soldiers and fellow laborers work for the advancement of your kingdom. Father, that we might have the benefit of divine discernment to interpret everything that goes on around us through the lens of your love and your love toward us. Father, give us the ability to see, as Paul did, your hand at work for the advancement of your gospel, for the, for the encouragement of the saints, for the, the preaching of your word that it might go forth. And Father, that we might build godliness within our lives and build an intimacy of relationship with you, build an intimacy of relationship with one another. And there might be a unity of the spirit that truly represents who you are to the world around us. So we ask you to dismiss us now 
that as we come before you, we ask that you will continue the change that you've begun within each of our lives for the glory of your Son, for the advancement of your kingdom through the power of your Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters.